Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Welcome to the Corey Act Show. I have a quick word to start on contentment and gratitude. Uh, then we'll move on to news and a lot more, so stick with us for today's Corey Act Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening, and I think you Welcome in to this edition of the Corey Act Show. It's either Happy Thanksgiving, Happy Black Friday, Happy Small Business Saturday, and then there's Sunday, and I think it's Cyber Monday is the one that comes after that because there's nothing like following up being grateful for all you have, like lustily going after a bunch of other new stuff. My name is Corey Truax. We are be- dedicated to smarter, better, deeper talk about everything here on the Corey Act Show. Glad you have chosen to join us on Christian Talk 660 or on the plethora of many podcasting apps on which we reside. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church here in Greenville, South Carolina. You are invited to Beachwood Church any given Sunday morning. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Beachwood, excuse me, at Greenville High School for Beachwood Church. This is one of my big pet peeves for the Thanksgiving time period. And because some of you have been listening for now literally years, I I don't want to reiterate this point with too much exposition because I know you've heard it before. But it, it does get to me how every Thanksgiving we get around the table, maybe with family, and we at least give lip service to gratefulness and gratitude that we are grateful for all the things that we have, the job we have, the the health that we have, the clothes that we have, the cars that we drive, the homes that we get to live in and be warm in. Like this is a thing we do. We say that we like all of the physical blessings that we have been given, and then literally merely hours later, our hearts and minds are set on that next thing. I gotta have the next thing. And which makes me go, you're not really all that grateful for what you have, are you? Uh, since we've organized basically the entire weekend around how you get more stuff after having declared you were so grateful for the stuff that you had. It goes right along with another one of my big annoyances, uh, of this weekend. I, I, by the way, I like Thanksgiving. I'm not trying to be a curmudgeon. I'm actually a fan of Thanksgiving as a holiday. But it comes also on the weekend where rivalry weekend hits, and I operate in the sports world. I enjoy sports, specifically the NFL, but I also like college football a good bit. And this is when it reminds me how much I don't like most college football fans because it's just insanity. It's, it is a mental and emotional disorder how much people care about how 18 to 22-year-olds that they're only loosely even affiliated with perform on a Saturday. Like, I can't stand how much people in the state care about the South Carolina-Clemson game. I can't stand how much people in Alabama care about the Auburn-Alabama game. I don't like at all how much people care about the outcome of Michigan-Ohio State. I think it's a mental disorder how much people care. Specifically in a state where there's a tiny little group of people comparatively actually went to Clemson or South Carolina, but people who have no affiliation with either one whatsoever actually feel better or worse about themselves based on the outcome of that game. And that's insane. That's insane behavior. And so we, on Thursday, talk about how much we, how much we're grateful and we're we're kind to one another. And then really seething underneath uh, all of that is some kind of irrational hatred for someone who likes a different set of 18 to 22 year olds who are going to play on a Saturday. And so, uh, I'm not trying to uh, undermine Thanksgiving, but these are some of the annoyances that come along with it because it's really a great holiday. Uh, th- even just springboard into this thing I want to give you about gratitude and entitlement to start the day. 
I think you could even use college football as a good illustration of this. I can't like, I can't fathom the heart of a college football fan where things can be going really, really well and lots of media attention is generally good, but a one media member one somewhere from one tiny little outfit said one thing on Twitter that you didn't like about your program. I see this all the time, by the way, and they go nuts. They just can't handle it. That anything said anyone negative whatsoever. This qualifies in life where generally everything is fine. Generally things are going okay, but there can be one cross word, one critic somewhere, and folks are just willing to let that one critic, that one word kind of ruin their perception of where they are in life and in reality. And we just shouldn't do that. Like let's, Let's be grateful and thankful and just be happy where the things are going well and where, where there's a piece of criticism, we can consider it and see if it's true and then address it if it is. But I, I noticed that this week amongst some college football fans as well. They just can't handle any negativity whatsoever. Anyway, we'll leave college football alone. Um, the, the, fan, the fandom is what usually gets to me there. All right, a word on gratefulness, on contentment, on gratitude uh, and this really emanates from a lot of my own thinking, but I was at small group here recently uh, that Beachwood Church hosts, and a sermon from Matt Chandler brought up a lot of this to me. Uh, but let's just get, get the real meaning here of Thanksgiving, especially from a Christian perspective. You know, the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. With contentment, godliness with contentment. And I think even as an instinct, we would know that is true. Contentment is good. To look at what you have, to look at what God has done, and to be glad for it. Not to then look at your literal physical neighbor in their home. Not to look at your your philosophical, your your symbolic neighbor at their relationship, at their income, at their reputation, at the life you see that they live on social media, and then no longer content. One of my favorite illustrations I've ever heard, it's been used in sermons as well, but I actually primarily heard this, I think, first on a TED Talk. It was from a secular perspective. That if you go into a workplace, let's go with 100 employees, and everybody gets a $500 bonus. And just the gladness there would be for those 100 employees that everyone got the $500 bonus, and everyone's just so glad and grateful. Yay! But then 50 of the people find out, well, actually, 50 of the other 50, they didn't get $500. They got a $1,000 bonus. And out of nowhere, that gladness, that, that happiness that was felt for getting this bonus, it's now jealousy. It's now contempt. That $500 is not any less good. That $500 is not any less a good gift and a good blessing. But now, compared to those other people, it's not nearly as good. And that's the little sadistic, terrible part of our sinful hearts that there's just a really a really a really bad lack of contentment. We are quick to not be content because we look around at what others have and we are not grateful. 
I love the idea of Thanksgiving as a holiday to turn our hearts toward our blessings. That does not advise you to pretend there are not hard times. Guys, we know there are. Life is life is hard a lot. But in all of that difficulty, we come from a Christian perspective on the show, and I can say it with all of that difficulty. I can say with a ton of confidence, God is faithful. I've been going through the book of Daniel at Beachwood Church here recently, and there's a few visions, images, dreams in that book that Daniel or Nebuchadnezzar has or some of these other characters, and the the theme of that book is ultimately there's going to be evil people rule. The philosophies and humans of this world, so because not just humans rule, but philosophies rule, ideas rule. They are part of the rule, the, the leadership of the of a given nation or a culture. The ideas and the people that rule secular worlds are going to be evil, and they're going to cause some suffering. So you, Jesus follower, you're going to have to expect there will be some suffering and some persecution because of the evil thoughts of this world. But those visions and those dreams, they all show, ultimately. God has given power everywhere that it exists. He's given authority everywhere that it exists. Even if you don't understand it or don't like it, he has given it. And so there is hope because ultimately we believe Jesus is returning to make all those things right, to bring justice to those things. And so we come to this time of year and we should be able to to recognize this need for the recognition that we can be content that God has been so generous to us, not to compare our lives to everyone else and what we don't have, but instead looking gratefully at what we do have. And so with that, I want to play for you a couple minutes of Matt Chandler and a sermon he gave a few years ago during his James series and how we're, how we don't live like this. And I have some thoughts uh, from that sermon as well as we consider what it means to be people who are grateful instead of uh, people that are content and grateful and have gratitude instead of people who have contempt and who are who are entitled. This is Matt Chandler. It's rooted in the Bible tells us that false wisdom has its heart on the here and now and has no view of eternity. So uh, living in false wisdom means that the default posture, the default um, position that you take is this is all I get. There, there is no eternity. There is no thousand years from now. There is no 10,000 years from now. All I've got is today. So I'm going to spend my money like this is all I've got. I'm going to treat my relationships like this is all I've got. This is all there is. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Right? That, that's, the, that's the refrain of false wisdom. And if you, you if even if. I got to pop in there because he makes a very good point that one of the reasons we live in a way that is not grateful, the way, one, of the ways, one of the reasons we live in an entitled way is because we don't acknowledge that there's more than just this. We focus so much on, on what is important. Life is important. Life on this earth is important in these bodies. However, if we can get our minds on the things that are above or on the things that are eternal, we're, we're going to become a much more grateful people. If you didn't look at this religiously, but you just looked at it um, like sociologically, you just looked at this intellectually, that idea is the death of everything human beings have called virtue since the beginning of time. 
So it's just about me, just about what I want. This is all there is. There's no need to sacrifice. Why would I ever lay down my life for you? This is all I got. This is all I got. Why would I ever sacrifice anything for you? In fact, my happiness must be uppermost in my affections. And if there's a God, he's all about my happiness too. So now there, there's no category for suffering. There, there's no um, category for what to do when relationships get difficult. There's no category for long-suffering commitment because this is all there is. It's earthly in its nature. And because that's true, it's marked by bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition. Again, th this is just reasoning, right? I mean, if it's true that you believe that if there is a God, he's basically your errand boy for your happiness. If you believe there's no such thing as truth except what you decide you want and what you desire, there's nothing that has to be submitted to. Can it be any other way except that you would be consistently bitter and jealous and frustrated and angry? It has to be that way because you're the point. And when you're the point, you're miserable. Great stuff from Matt Chandler. Why are we miserable? jealous, contemptuous, bitter, because we're so focused on ourselves. If you struggle with gratitude, it's because when we struggle with gratitude, including me, it's because we think we're the center of the universe. There, that's where contempt comes from. That's where bitterness comes from. When you think the, the universe owed you something, it is very easy to look at what, every, what everyone else has, what you don't have, and then get bitter. Why not me? Why them? Why does it have to be like this for me? Because we think we're the center of all things. So, as we go through this, this weekend that we're supposed to be thinking through, those things we are grateful for, Let's first fix the underlining thought, and that is this. We are not the center of the planet. We are not that which around everything orbits. God owes us nothing. Very important point there. You are owed nothing. Everything you have that's good is a good gift. Everything I have that's good is just a good gift. Everything you don't have that you think you want, God has kept from you for your own good. This is the promise of Scripture, that all things are working together for good for those who are the called, those who belong to Jesus. The problem is we often define good incorrectly. We think good is the thing that we want this very minute that we think will make us happy where the actual definition of good is you are being made more in the image of your Father and made more in the image of the Son he sent to save us. Let's be a much more grateful people than we are right now. There's a lot more to do, and we're going to get started when we come back on this week's episode of The Corey Act Show. You know, I'm tempted to go right back to that Matt Chandler sermon and just let him keep going for the rest of the show, but I guess I should do my job and actually provide some sort of content for you. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. If you would be so inclined and so kind, find the show on demand wherever you want. You can do that at iTunes, Apple Podcast, at Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, 
uh, CoreTruax.com, and plenty of other places on Anchor. I hope you will do that and rate the show, review the show where you find it, tell somebody else about it. I could also just do the rest of the show giving you all of my gratefulnesses because there's a lot um, in my in my own life to be grateful for right now, all the way from from family and where uh, you know I love seeing the development of my 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 nieces and nephews. There's all kinds of good stuff going on. Uh, I I should not I should probably not have to fill your mind with places to look for uh, for things to be grateful for because um, even in the in the darkest of times there's plenty of things for it. All right, so let's move on here. I always like to share with you when I learn new things. That's something we can be thankful for. It's always good to be learning. And I learned a new thing from a podcast I listen to called Science Versus. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and most of them are uh, informative or educational. Very few are entertaining in their base, although I find learning to be very entertaining. That's that's where the fun happens is when you're learning something you previously did not know. And it's from a social scientist out of one of the Ivy Leagues. I think it was Harvard. Uh, but they came to this question, these nerds uh, that go to all the Ivy Leagues. That's said affectionately, by the way. They, they came together and decided to, to, form, to formulate and to make formal a method for making decisions. As in what people str- struggle and stress and they, they, they are always trying to figure out what, what, what is the best way in which to determine to do a thing or which thing to buy. And they were even thinking about things that are major life decisions. Which house to buy? Which job to take? What apartment to rent? Who to marry? Like how do how should we go about going through our prospects for decision making? And so I want to give you what they found because it's actually quite profound, maybe that they they have found there really is a a rhythm to the human mind that if you follow this pattern, the people who followed this pattern were most often satisfied with their decisions. So does it doesn't mean that folks that are not making their decisions this way are going to be dissatisfied. It doesn't mean that if you use this method, you're always going to be satisfied. What they found was, on average, the majority situation was, it's those who followed the system were satisfied with the choice they made when they were buying a house, renting an apartment, taking a job, or choosing a mate. Here's what they found. Now, the best way to make these decisions is to first set up your timeline. So decide... I want to have bought a house by this time, one year out, okay? I want to have changed jobs by this time. Call it 18 months. The the most profound, not not profound, the word I'm looking for is, I guess, extensive. The most extensive one they did was make a decision, uh, I want to be married by. And so if you decide I'm going to start seriously somewhat dating at 20 and I want to be married by 30, like this this is my goal, like here's what they would say do. Start looking through all your options for your house, job, mate, whatever, and don't make any decisions until 60% of your time period that you've allotted has passed. So if you've allowed yourself one year, 60% of the year, you need to not make a decision until 60% of of your time period has passed that you have given yourself to make a decision. You know, and for that matter, you might only have a week to make a decision. So... But whatever your timeline is, you need to make at least si- allow 60% of it to go by. And then, after your 60% mark, their advice is, what they found, was take the next best option 
that you see that was better than all of the options thus far. Because the chances that you're going to come into a an even better option if you wait any longer are very rare. So their essentially their theory is what they found was after you've allowed 60% of the time to pass, you've seen all of the houses, apartments, jobs, or mates. You've basically seen the quality that you're going to see. And so the next one that comes along that is qualitatively better than your other options, you make your decision and go for that one. And I found that to, I, I love science and sometimes struggle with decisions. Not often. I, I have the opposite a disease, I guess, where I hear uh, I have the opposite ailment or I can hear like four or five details and I go, all right, I've made a decision. I'm ready to go. And I'm also 100% sure about my decision and no one should ever question my decision ever again. Like this is the other thing that I do. For those of you that might struggle with decision making, now we have some social science that suggests do that. Set a timeline, let 60% of the time go by, be doing your research, be be, be, uh, be trying things out and going to see uh, houses in the, case, in the case that it's houses, maybe go interview for jobs or research those jobs or go on the dates. And then after 60% of the time has passed, take the next best option you've seen that's beat everything previous to what you've seen. And uh, the, the social science says that you're most likely to be satisfied with your choice. So there you go. Something new I learned that I thought I would share with the group. Something else new that I have been introduced to uh, recently uh, was from a listener. Thank you, Brandon, for referring me to a new podcast called Depolarize. It's really excellent. From what I can tell from the little bit that I've listened to it, it's from a guy who has a similar interest that I do, which is why I think his, his podcast does a little bit better than mine, but not too much better, because there's not a market necessarily for being challenged. Right now, what we have in the political and even theological talk realm is people seek out voices to tell them why they're right. People seek out voices to be comforted in the positions that they currently hold. And so if anyone comes along and says, hey, I wonder if we should engage with the other side or or rethink what we've already thought, or or at least become sharper in our thinking and argumentation. Well, there's not a lot of market for that, because that's hard. That requires being mature. That requires actually engaging with information that could be possibly uncomfortable, and that it's not a popular thing. But this guy's interest from Depolarize, there's a reason he called it Depolarize. The idea is, let's get... Let's get away from this very vapid, unthinking nature inside of the public discourse that is tribal. My team, and whatever's good for my team, is the good thing. Whatever's bad for the other team, that's the that's also a good thing. Because if it's bad for them, it's good for us. And we don't think about any of the intricacies. We just know we're the good guys and they're the bad guys and we need to destroy the bad guys. So that's depolarized. Here's a couple things I have taken away from them that I want to challenge you on here in the spirit of this weekend, right? We're in that Thanksgiving weekend. Part of the the spirit of the weekend is is kindness. It is engagement. It, it's supposed to be about recentering us on those things we are grateful for, which will bring us back to our humanity and how we engage with other people who don't agree. Let me just give you at least two things that I wanted to highlight from what I've learned from this new podcast from Depolarize. Again, thank you to Brandon for sending it over. I wonder this. I wonder if you can make someone else's argument. So, for example, I tend to be a low taxes guy. But in good faith, 
could someone who's on the left come to me and say, hey, I would like to see tax rates for incomes over 250 grand go up. Could I, in good faith, tell, uh, give that person's argument? Could, could I make that person's argument in a way that they would look at me and go, yep, that's what I think? And I wonder if you could do that. Or if your argument would just be, well, yeah, that's what you want to do because you're a socialist and you are a Marxist and you just want to take everything from everybody uh, and you just want power for the government. That's the argument that gets characterized. But th- the person that you're actually trying to engage with, would they, would they say, yeah, that's my argument. That's, that is what I think. I am a Marxist and I just want the government to have all the power. Could you, with honesty and integrity represent the other side's opinion. Someone comes along and says, I think the minimum wage should be federal, and I think it should be $15 an hour. Are you able to give their logical reasons, or is it just, yeah, of course you think that, because you're an, you're an idiot, and you're ignorant, and you don't know how economics works. Or could you say, all right, well, this person thinks that full-time work, if you work 40 hours, it should lead to being able to support a family totally. This is a thing that they think, and uh, and this is the argument they're making, is that we should set a wage that would allow for that to happen. Now, I disagree with that, and I, I could argue against it effectively, but can you, with honesty, with some charity and humility, make the other person's argument? Because if you can't, you've not thought deeply enough about your position yet. Let me challenge you on that. If you have a position and you can't argue the other side, like think of that position right now, whatever it is, whatever thing you hold dear, it's a, a politician you like, it's a policy position, it's a theological position, it's something inside the church world, you go ahead and identify it in your head. This is what I believe about that. Can you make the other side's argument and make it in a way that's faithful and logical? Because if you can't, you really... I hate to say it this way, you sort of don't have a right to your position. You've not done the intellectual work to be, to have earned your hard opinion. So this is something I would encourage you to do. Figure out what other people think. It's not because they're stupid and evil. It's because they think a different thing. They have different inputs. And we will be better off, we will be a better off people, we will have better discourse, if on the left and right, and in all different parts of theological circles, that we could identify the other person's position from where they're coming. I mean, in the theological world, it would help on all the different discussions. Uh, like, I'm, I'm hardcore what's called the regulative principle, the regulative principle, which just means when we're just designing a church service, when we are designing what a church does, we go to Scripture. Our, just, our, our question is, what does the Bible say we're supposed to do? How does the Bible say we're, we can do it? What is the example that the Bible gives us? There are some other people that, that that's just not their question. Their question is, what do we think will work? What do we think is effective? And I disagree with those folks. I think they're asking the wrong question, but I get where they're coming from. I actually think their heart is quite admirable often. And we can have a discussion on that thing because we, as long as they also look back and say, uh, well, I value that you are so focused on Scripture. And I can say to them, and I value that you are focused on outcomes, that you are thinking about the end result, and maybe we can have a discussion on the which way we should go and how we organize church, right? So this is a, a concept I would love for all of us to get into. I learned from Depolarize. We really need to be very good at representing the other side's argument. Number two, let me encourage you. 
to at least do one of these two things. Consume antagonistic news sources. That might be going too far for some of you, so I'm going to give you another option. But it would be healthy for you, to, if you were a conservative, to turn off Fox News one night, if that's what you were doing, if you just have Fox News on in the background, and actually turn over and listen to MSNBC. It will be healthy for you, because it will challenge you, and it will require you to, to refine your thinking. If you are on the left and listen to me, and I have quite a few lefties that listen to me, turn off MSNBC. I dare you go over to Fox. I dare you to do it. And just listen to Sean Hannity throw Donald Trump a party every night. Do that. It, w- it will be good for our brains. It will be good for our discourse to have heard what other people are thinking. If you are out there and you're a secularist, challenge yourself. Listen to some William Lane Craig. Challenge yourself. Get a John Piper sermon. See what happens. See, just see what other well, the other people that you think are so backward and weird, what they think. If you are a Christian, and I would say if you're not solid in your faith, be careful and do this with uh, a discussion of, of, of folks who know what they're talking about. But yeah, you should consume some of what Bill Maher has written or what Richard Dawkins has, has spoken about. You should watch some of those debates between... Uh, an atheist and a, and a Christian like Dawkins online on, on YouTube. Those are things, good things to consume. Let me ask you this. When you're just watching whatever thing you're watching on Netflix, are you getting any better? Are you becoming a better person, a smarter person, a deeper person for whatever you're watching? If not, well, you only get so many times around the sun, guys. Let's, let's develop. Let's be people who are working on knowing more, being better, being more productive. And so I would encourage you from that depolarized podcast consume antagonistic sources things that absolutely disagree with everything you think and if you can't handle that your blood pressure for some reason can't hear something you disagree with and not freak out then at least do this at least find some non-cheerleading sources so there, there are more neutral sources they're more rare and rare i actually would consider me to be more of a neutral source we, we all know what I think. I am certainly partisan and biased, and I have hard opinions. But I try to be fair. Here's what, the opposite of me. You have plenty of talk radio that is, Donald Trump is the greatest person who has ever lived. There is no one like him. Everything he does is good, and all of his achievements are wonderful. And if you can't see them, it's because you're an insane left-wing moron. Equally, there are voices on the left. I'm doing politics right now instead of other things. That would say, Donald Trump's the worst person who's ever lived. Everything he does is terrible. He obviously hates everyone who's not a white male. And we need to destroy him. And there, and therefore, on our shows, we are cheerleading every terrible thing that happens to him. And on the other shows, this is Sean Hannity, this is Fox, this is really everything you see on Fox, is everything that could possibly be construed as good, we're going to construe as good. These are not thinking. There is no depth happening on that. That's just cheerleading. It would be good for all of us to get off of the cheerleading and try to find something of neutrality. This is in the theological world, too. I mean, there there is plenty of Christian TV and Christian, Christian sites and uh, Facebook pages that really uh, inculcate without challenge their worldview, whether that be a, th- a thought on end times, whether that a, th- a thought on even things like b- to Bible translations and 
uh, things have to do with soteriology, that is how one is saved. Like they, they never even interact with other positions or opinions or thoughts. It's just cheerleading their own position. It would be healthy for all of us to stop that. It would be healthy for all of us to, if we, to at least trying to come to places that are neutral. And if we can't do that, if we, if, if, excuse me, it would be great for all of us to get to antagonistic news, news sources, antagonistic voices to challenge what we think. And if you can't handle that, at least go to something neutral for it. Uh, so something I would refer you to, the Depolarized Podcast. I mean, you should always listen to my show first. <laughs> uh, but once you have, it's another good voice out there that is trying to fix our underlying problem. You know, we skip steps too much. We skip uh, trying to fix problems on policy and things of that sort, and we have skipped the step that we're broken. That as a people, we don't talk to each other, we hate each other, we fear each other, and that's another voice trying to address that. When we come back, I have one more thought on some of the narratives surrounding Thanksgiving, and if we have more time, I think I have a quick idea on some education policy. Uh, we'll get to as much of that as we can and in sports when we return on The Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Thank you for sticking with us as we are on the home stretch now of this Thanksgiving Day episode. I always want to take Thanksgiving and reiterate a point I've made previously, a point that some of you have challenged me on, uh, but one I have only become more uh, confident in. Uh, and it's this time of year, because of the stuff that happens on Facebook and on Twitter, uh, I think it's a good time just to reiterate. So it's sort of a rerun, but it's always good to reiterate things that we uh, what we think in the conversations that are surrounding a given thing. Uh, so one of the things that happens at Thanksgiving is you'll get Facebook memes and you'll get things on Twitter uh, that are really snarky about the American founding and settlers. So I even saw one post that was something like, uh, actually had pictures of the Mayflower and the, uh, the other boats that brought over settlers. And they said, you know, this is the first immigrant caravan. And so it was comparing the uh, the folks that came over from Europe to the United States set up Jamestown, comparing that to what's happening coming up from Honduras and El Salvador with this caravan coming to the southern border. And you'll have those kind of memes all the time uh, that talks about how uh, this, you know, the, it'll have a bunch of white folks coming off a boat and saying, you know, this was the first illegal immigration. And they're, they're trying to make an argument that the people now who are super anti-illegal immigration uh, well, all of their ancestors came to America illegally anyway. That's what they're trying to get to. So I always want to respond to that with as much grace as I can, but recognizing this truth. I think that's a really, I think it's an immature argument, and I would challenge it in this way. And if that is something that you have heard, or you think even, that you think, you know, it's really not fair what, a, what white people did coming over to North America and what they did to the natives. I just want to get you to think through the best I can, your opinion on that. So here we go. Number one, I think we have a, an incorrect view of what was happening in North America before the, the Western world, before Europe arrived. You know, there's some really good oral history on this, but I think there is a position out in, the, in academia that there was this idea of the noble native that what was happening over in North America before the evil Western Europeans got here was just a lot of peace and harmony and oh, and working with nature. And that's not the case. What was happening here 
in North America was a lot of violence. It was war. The, the, the folks who were living here are not any different than those in Western Europe. In Western Europe, people were warring and killing each other and hating each other, and factions were, were destroying each other for decades and centuries. And that was happening over here, too. Smaller tribes were killing each other in violent ways and, and doing all kinds of terrible things. Human nature wasn't any different over here than it was there. There was there was a war and constant conflict happening here just like it was there. So that brings to number two. One of the problems with these analogies about illegal immigration coming to the United States is you have to ask, well, who, who were the Western Europeans supposed to ask? When the Mayflower got here, what immigration office were they supposed to go to? Which of the native tribes was supposed to decide if they could stay in Virginia? The clear history of the native tribes is most of them were nomadic. They're, they're even philosophically, was the land was the lands. It could never belong to the humans because the land was worshipped in and of itself. The land belongs to itself. It doesn't belong to any human. And so as they're moving around and they're nomadic, who were who the Western Europeans supposed to ask, hey, can we come here? Can we settle here? Which brings to number three, from, a, from the Christian perspective, we have this idea in Genesis, this mandate to go and tame the earth, bring it under subjection of mankind. As we, he, we, the humans, we are made in the image of God. We are God's representative on the earth. We are here to tame it. We're supposed to be here to rule the earth. Well, the humans that were over in North America, they were not doing that. They weren't doing that at all. They had not brought that organizational structure, that that you that you even could immigrate properly there was no government to to interact with here's what northern uh, or excuse me western europeans ultimately were they were just another tribe instead of walking here they got on boats here but this was unclaimed untamed territory and whatever people group whatever human group came along and was able to tame it can then claim it that's that's who it rightly belongs to I don't, that's, a, that's a moral statement that I would ask you to evaluate. If you have not done anything with the place that you're living on, or if you lived there for a little while and you left, why do you get a, a perpetual claim to it? And the answer is you shouldn't. And so for those arguments that you hear out there on the Internet about uh, how Western Europeans were illegally immigrating here, it's not really true. Uh, I think the, the language I've used in the past was Western Europeans were not immigrants, they were settlers. They, they came to this land and tamed it. They came to this land and ruled over it, and it was not previously being ruled over. It was not previously being tamed. It wasn't taken from anybody because the people that were even here don't believe it could be owned anyway. And so, morally, there is this idea, especially in secular leftism, to make the argument that literally the foundation the, the, the premise under which the United States was founded is immoral. It's wrong. And just to get the morality straight, that's not the case. Uh, the, the morality of, the, of those that came here and, and, and organized this area uh, had, had really every right to do so because it had not previously taken place. Okay, we've got about a minute left. I have to choose between two things. I'm going to choose this one. I have for a, uh, a long time been a, an anti-porn voice. I've not done it a ton on this show. It's been more on Dr. Beam's show, the morning show on WLFJ, and online and all that. I've just seen it to be, I think, probably a more, pornography is a more destructive force in our culture 
than alcohol or drugs. I think pornography has been the more destructive thing. I think feminists should be more involved in this. The Me Too people should be more involved in talking about the damage that pornography does to men, to relationships, to the objectification of women, turning women into objects to consume instead of humans to respect. It's a major problem. And there's all kinds of polling out there that shows uh, that it's a problem amongst people, amongst men primarily, who claim to be Christians, even among Christian leaders. And so uh, I saw recently that faithwire.com, faithwire.com has created a resource called Set Free Course. Set Free Course. You can find it at faithwire.com. There is, with an audience even of my size, which is not huge, the bottom line is it's likely that some, some, someone listening to me right now, it might be you, whoever you are, you are consuming pornography with some regularity. That's the averages. Maybe my audience is above average. We'll see. But I want you to know it's there. I want you to know that resource is out there at faithwire.com, set free course. I, don't, I think it's free, and if it's not free, it's really low cost. But th- this is a scourge on our culture. It destroys marriages and relationships in men and women. And we, we need to be, as, as Christians, part of the solution in, in stopping what is this really pornography epidemic. We've run all out of time for the serious stuff. Share the show on social media if you would be so kind. We are out of time. Let's move on to sports. Are you? As we do, we're going to finish up Dogging Sports with our vaunted sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hello there, sir. Hello. I want to start here. Uh, you ever had a deci- like you had a bunch of decisions in front of you? None of them are particularly good, but you do have to pick one of them? Yes. I feel like that's what the college football playoff uh, committee has to do with Notre Dame. They do. It's, like, it's not a great choice. There's it's just not, not any other good ones. Uh, I think if you're going to be in the playoff, you have to play in a conference championship. But they're not going to. They're not going to. But they're going to be in. They're going to be in. But all the other teams that, that make it into the playoff, whoever those three teams are, will have to play an extra game. That Notre Dame didn't have to worry that about. Notre Dame sat at home and ate popcorn watching. So if it ends up being, let's just, it looks like it's going to be Michigan. Right. In which case, Michigan would have had to have played, some, who, who won the other division in the Big Ten? I can't remember, but it was not the team that was supposed to win. It wasn't one Wisconsin. Everybody thought it was going to be Wisconsin. It's Northwestern. It's Northwestern. And they have to play. Uh, Northwestern did not lose a Big Ten game. And they also did not win a game out of conference. Wow. The Big Ten's terrible. Isn't that ridiculous? It is. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, that's a weird way to win your conference. It is. Uh, or at least win your division. Uh, so, I mean, Clemson has to get an extra game against Pittsburgh? Yep, Pittsburgh. Is that right? And then Alabama's extra game will end up being against, oh, Georgia. Georgia. That's Sheesh. right. You know? And so Notre Dame just plays Southern California and calls it a year. Yeah, they do. Twelve To go 12-0. and 0. Um, But I do think that's what happens. I don't like them getting in either. I just look at the other options. Oklahoma. Uh, I don't know who the other options are. Oklahoma's out. They can't play defense. And so I, I just look around and go, I guess Notre Dame. I don't yeah, like it. Yeah, I mean, they they kind of get in by default. Yes. Now Unless the, you throw two SEC teams in. One question, One more question on that. Let's say Michigan beats Ohio State, then goes and beats Northwestern, at least in the final rankings because they played a championship game. It is going to should be Notre Dame four. Yeah, me. Notre Dame, assuming they get in, will be the fourth option for me, the yeah. fourth seed. Yeah. In which case, I mean, I, I don't want to count chickens. Or what do, they, what do you count, chickens or eggs? Uh, you count chickens before they hatch. Thank you. I don't want to count my chicken. Thank you. You count eggs before you I cook could, them. I couldn't get. <laughs> I couldn't get there in my head. Uh, is that? I think. I think Michigan would have a terrible time trying to score on Clemson. Michigan is going to have a terrible time trying to score against 
any of the other three teams in the playoff. Agreed. They just are. They're, they're a great defensive team. They play good defense. They do. That's all they've got. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's not found a quarterback to produce any points right. for them. Uh, so that's where it looks like it's heading to me uh, for at least playoff purposes. Um, but Notre Dame did go have a fairly impressive win against Syracuse in Yankee Stadium. Um, yeah, but also Dungy's hurt again. Like, he can't stay healthy. He was out of the game. I didn't know that. So it's not the full-strength Syracuse ta- team, which Notre Dame would have probably beaten Syracuse at full strength anyways. Agreed. I'm just saying there's all these little things that yeah. that keep slipping Notre Dame through. And it's going to end up slipping them all the way to, I think, another beat down in the playoff. Because if they end up at four or three, I think Alabama or Clemson rolls Notre Dame. Yeah, I think Notre Dame doesn't want to see Clemson or Alabama. Does, uh, but does anybody? <laughs> but I don't think – that's what I'm saying. But I don't think anybody <laughs> wants to see them right now. Uh, okay, of the rivalry games, uh, so of the, uh, the, those rivalry games that are in cont- – teams that are in contention, Clemson versus South Carolina, Notre yep. Dame versus Southern California – uh, Michigan, Auburn, Auburn, Alabama. Alabama, and Michigan, Ohio State. Who's in the biggest danger of losing the rivalry game? I don't know that any of them are. I don't think so. I either. mean, let's just be honest. It's not years past where the rivalries actually were competitive. It's just not. Yeah. Michigan is – I tell you what, Ohio State has a chance to beat Michigan if they – you know, it sounds stupid if they can outscore them. But that's all Ohio State can do. They have to score mm-hmm. points just like Oklahoma does because they have no defense. If we end up getting some, some kind of Sugar Bowl uh, matchup between Ohio State and Oklahoma – could be like 70 to 60. Yeah, Ohio State looks like a big 12 team right now. They That's do. what they look like. The, the, the offense is actually pretty good. Haskins yep. can score. I like Haskins. Yeah, he can definitely th- sling the ball. Yeah. But, man, they cannot play defense. Once the defense rolls on the field, bad things happen. Uh, any given takeaways from the Duke-Clemson game in that it started apparently started a little slow for the Yeah, Tigers. Clemson was – you know how if you drive your car, you can tell if it's slipping a little bit, but somebody else may not be able to tell. Yes. We watched a lot of Clemson games. They're, they looked a half a step off. Okay. Trevor was a little little off, a little over the heads on his passes. Uh, the run game was a little slow in getting going. But, I mean, they still won 35-6. to six. Yes. So, technically, we're being nitpicky here. You, you are. But you, you yeah. if you watch a lot of Clemson, you can tell they're a half step off, um, maybe a little sluggish. But, I mean, they figured it out, and they did what they normally do. That's what having – And ex- not only that, David Cutcliffe is a fantastic awesome. coach. Awesome. Yeah, one of Peyton He's Manning's – one of my favorite coaches. Uh, I mean, I love that guy. Mentors. Yep. The uh, that's what having an excellent defense does for you is you have margin for error in the beginning of games. Yep. You can hold to a stalemate basically until you figure it out. Well, I mean, wide receivers that normally don't drop passes were dropping. I mean, touchdown passes. Like, yep. They're free running by you know good four or five steps on the DB and it just drops the ball. Um, so they had a little of those, but I think that's good when you're getting into the postseason. Mm-hmm. You need to be hit in the mouth and see how you recover from that. I totally agree. Uh, whether it's the other team hitting you or you're just punching yourself. Yeah, it's funny you say that because actually I have thought through that for some of the greatest NFL teams yep. that go 14 and two, 13 and three, and losing the playoffs. It's because they're untested in the exactly. the whole season. They're blitzing everybody, and then the first time they get tested, they fold. Yeah, mentally, they it's, weren't ready. They weren't ready. It's very dangerous to do that. Th- that's an emo- football's an emotional game. If you go back to Week One against Texas A&M, this is what. Clemson needs that you can't beat teams forty-five to ten every game, and then when you're tested, you don't know how to handle that. You need to be able to at eighteen, nineteen, twenty experience. We're down to a superior opponent in the end of the first quarter, yeah. so that's how this feels. I mean, an inferior opponent, right? Opponent, but that's how this feels. Okay, we're good. We can yeah. go on. Adversity is a good thing. Absolutely, I think everyone is averse to that now, mm-hmm. where you you want zero adversity. But how do you learn to overcome something if you never face anything? Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't. You don't. You, you, that's the answer. You fold quickly. That's exactly right. Under all kinds of pressure. Uh, yeah. So the rest of those uh, rivalry games, I just I, I hate to be a jerk about it. Being in South Carolina, there's just not a chance for them to do it. There's not a chance for Auburn to beat Alabama. I don't think. 
It's okay. just it's not what it used to be. It's just not. Um, it's, do we know if South Carolina is getting that twelfth game back? Yeah, they're playing. Who are they playing? It's Chattanooga, right? No, they played Chattanooga yesterday. Okay, so it, it's a, but it was one of their. Maybe that was the makeup game. Okay, because they're in, they're going to end up getting twelve games. Right, that's the thing. I'm just trying to get them bowl eligible. Yeah, is my point. Yeah, they won yesterday, so they're bowl eligible. Six wins. That's six wins. Very good. Okay, which would make you will make you right in the end <laughs> if uh, they don't win another one. Yeah, and I I mean we don't think which they'll have to beat Clemson to to be that other one. Uh, the only other big story to me from the weekend was West Virginia had an outside shot of being a contender, and that's over now, right? That is over now. Oklahoma State beat them. The uh, that's is that the Fighting Gundies. Yeah, the fighting gunnies, man. The fighting mullets. The cowboys. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so West Virginia going down. This is really only Georgia is left in contention with five teams total. The four that are in right now, plus Georgia. Does Oklahoma have an, Oklahoma have an argument? It's, I don't think Oklahoma has a chance. I just don't. Yeah, Even It's making the last part of the season way less dramatic than previous years. It really is. It's just I felt not like, the anticipation that you've had in previous years of the playoff. I felt like the last few years. You always knew Clemson-Bama. Yep. But the other two could have been two could of any six, anybody, seven, eight Yeah, teams. it was awesome. But this is not the case this, this year. This is not the case this year. Um, do you have – let me ask you one more football question, and then we can call this a day. Uh, so everyone wins out who is currently undefeated. Uh, obviously, you'll go Clem- Alabama, Clemson, Michigan. Would you have any entertainment for a UCF versus Notre Dame argument? Is there any, Would you entertain that discussion? Yeah, I would entertain that. Because don't they have to play a championship They have two? to play an extra game. They'll be 13. And Notre Dame doesn't. UCF's currently undefeated, right? Yeah, I think they won last night. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost positive. They beat Cincinnati, right? I would at least want to hear the discussion. Make them play it in. Have a play-in game. Why not? Get together. UCF wants to call themselves a national championship. Well, here's your chance to prove you belong in the playoff. Let's, I, I think Go beat would, Notre Dame. Yeah, I think they could beat Notre that Dame. That gives Notre Dame an extra game, so they're equal with the other teams. Yes. We just solved a major problem here. Hey, we just – somebody – Put me on the committee. Ask us <laughs> questions. Yeah, somebody well, call Greenville, South Carolina, we'll and ask us what we think. Figure it out. All right, we'll be back next week after all these rivalry games. Thanks for coming in and doing sports. No, I appreciate we'll it. We'll be back with a new edition. Get the show anywhere you want on demand. SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, Anchor, any place, and also share the show wherever you find fit. We'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.